So our, our passage today is Philippians 3, 17 through 21. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, what a fun morning. What a great morning, God, to be together as, um, as church family and, um, and guests. Thank you, God, for bringing us here today. And God, we just want to continue to make much of you, to be reminded of your goodness and kindness in our life, to be re- reminded in uh, just uh, profound ways that, yes, Jesus loves us. And God, if there's any doubt in that at all, we just look to the cross of Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And God, we just praise you for the gift of Jesus. God, we thank you that when we were um, enemies of the cross that you brought us in and made us citizens of heaven and friends of the living God. And um, Lord, I just pray that you would help me in this uh, task that I'm not naturally suited for to be able to communicate to um, such a wide range of ages. And um, Lord, I uh, stand here just with uh, confidence in your word and confidence that through your spirit that your word will accomplish its effects. And so I pray for every uh, parent that might be distracted this morning, for every uh, child that um, maybe would rather be upstairs. God, we're just glad they're here, and I just pray that you would um, open their eyes and ears and hearts to receive um, what it is that you have for each of us here this morning. We love you. We thank you that you loved us first, and God's people said, amen. amen. Good morning. Today we are continuing through Philippians chapter 2, as Lori just read, verses 17 through 21. And um, kids, um, glad you're here. Really glad you're here. Um, I have no idea. Um, I mean, I, with my grandkids, I tell like lots of Papa Bear stories where we kind of make it up on the fly. But outside of that, I, outside of make-believe, I'm not sure how to communicate to you. But I want you to know this. If you're a kid in here, a child, under the age of 12, look at me, and I'm glad you're here. And God has something for you. I know he does. Because he's got something for all of us whenever his word is, is open. So just great to have you here. Parents, um, I hope this ends up being a blessing. We're gonna, as Jake said, we're going to try to do this every, every three months. Today we're going to be, um, we're going to continue the letter that we started maybe uh, 10, 11 weeks ago. And I hope you've been encouraged. I've been, I said this in the last service. I've been just, my, I've been, my socks have been blessed by just um, listening to the sermons after sermons that these um, 
these younger men are uh, proclaiming. And I got a chance to listen to Josh, Josh Twigstad um, um, on Monday, and it was just, I was so encouraged and I was so spurred on. And I want to just remind you, the reason we are doing what we're doing, the end is not just to go, wow, that's cool, they got different guys up there, but the end actually is mission. The end actually, I mean, we're not going to have, um, we've got um, myself, excluding myself, we've got nine other men that are preaching this summer. And, um, and let's just assume for a minute that every one of them is gifted and called to be a pastor. Well, we would have like a pastor to um, congregant ratio, like one to two, something like that. Um, so we want to actually raise men up and send them out as the Lord leads. Um, so the end is mission. We want to uh, plant churches for the glory of God and for the sake of those that God is calling to himself. So the title of the sermon series is Encouraged to Press On. Encouraged to press on. And it's very intentional that we called it that way because Paul in this letter is, it's a letter of encouragement. That Paul isn't um, laying the hammer down on believers. That he is gently um, encouraging them to press on in their faith. That the Philippian church like us today, there's all kinds of distractions to keep our eyes off the prize that Josh taught on last week. Paul encourages to press on in the faith. And we see that Paul puts himself forth in his own life forth as a life for others to follow or an example for us to follow. And we're going to see that Paul actually puts forth a pattern for us to follow today. And I don't know about you, but I'd much rather follow a pattern than someone issuing me uh, an authoritative prescription on what to do. And it seems to be Paul's uh, methodology. He can command, he can demand, but he doesn't. He appeals. He urges. He, he appeals and he urges to the gospel. If you remember Josh's sermon last week, it was, it was profound. It was, um, it was one phrase over and over again with lots of great illustrations, and that is the motivation to press on It's the gospel. The motivation to press on in our faith is, is standing in the gospel that we heard and we received. I've got a question for you kids. Before I ask the question, the sermon, the sermon title today is A Model Citizen. I'm not sure it's the best title, and I'm not sure that my sermons always really align with the title. The title's like the hardest part for me. Like, oh man, like what? How do I come up with a title? You know, that somebody could tweet, you know? It just doesn't happen in my sermons. But a model says, what is a model? If any child under the age of 12 knows what a model is, how would you describe a model? Yes, sweetie. Um, it's something that's like built, and, but it's not real. Boom. And, it, and it's, a, it's a model of something that is, the model's not real, but it's a replicate of something real? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Have you ever put together a model? No. no, but you know what it is. I know what you're asking for for Christmas, right? Yeah, so a lot of us have put together models of, of vintage cars or uh, maybe uh, Navy ships or fighter planes or a horse or something like that. I think they've got models for everything. But a model is a standard to be imitated. That's what a model is. It's a standard to be imitated. What's a citizen? Any, any young people um, want to say what a citizen is? Aliyah. That What? Boom. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's probably like, like, 
bullseye, like the simplest definition, and it's the correct definition. It's, a, it's somebody who lives in a city or a country or a particular county, right? Um, you could be a citizen of North America and of America, of Colorado, of Windsor, of the, of the McCarthy household. Cheyenne, did you say? I don't know if there's citizens in Cheyenne. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there is. I mean, Cheyenne, it's like, it's all military people that are, they either come there for a temporary or they're leaving. No, there's, there's citizens of Cheyenne, there is. Do you know my sense of humor, Aliyah? Do you, appreciate, do you appreciate it? You don't appreciate it? Okay. So, so a citizen, playing off a of building on what Aliyah said, a, a citizen is a person who owes allegiance to a government and is protected by that government. A citizen is one who's entitled to the rights and privileges of the city, the county, the state, the, the um, country that they're a citizen of. As U.S. citizens, we have certain rights and privileges and we have certain responsibilities, do we not? A model citizen is someone who obeys the law, is good to their community, and sets a good example for other citizens to follow. Generally speaking, it is the model citizen that conforms perfectly to the virtues and the commands that any given society holds. So kids, I've given your parents a written test that they're going to test you on this when you get home. No, there really isn't. Like one of them, Dad, do I have to do this? Let's take a look at verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me, Paul says, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Um, I want to go backwards, actually, because I flip-flopped my notes after the, after the last service, is that um, before we get to verse 17, um, all throughout my life, I've wanted to model other people. And, and there's nothing wrong, actually. In fact, Paul's going to encourage us that we should have examples in our life to model our life afterwards. And there's been people in my life throughout the years, whether it been, um, as I've uh, found men that are doing a great job of loving their wives and raising their kids, uh, whether it be people that are good stewards with their money, um, whether it be... Um, um, learning from somebody like on where to, uh, where to eat, where to vacation, learning on health and fitness and that type of thing, is that it, it's good to look for people to model your life after. Remember back in the 1990s, somebody might remember the Gatorade commercial, Be Like Mike. Be like Mike. Exactly. Be like Mike. And, and, and there's something wholesome about that. You know, it, was, it was encouraging kids to work hard and, and go for their dreams. But it's not exactly what Paul is talking about here. I've got some questions that I want you to consider in this sermon. I want you to consider these same questions maybe at your dinner table tonight or this week. Who do you have your eyes on? Whose life are you patterning yours after? Patterning yours after or modeling yours after? And why? That might be the best question actually. Why did you pick that particular person, that particular author, that particular blogger to, um, to listen to, to spend time with, to read? Why are you modeling your life after that person? What is attractive about their life? Let's jump into the passage. Brothers, Paul says, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk or live according to the example that you have in us. How can Paul say that? It seems prideful. 
It would seem prideful for me to say, you know, just, just do as I do or do as I say. I mean, you would like um, go to the gym and see me at the gym like on one workout and you go, no, kids, don't ever go to the gym with Dan again. Um, it's, kids, it's good to, um, I always, see, I'm, I'm going to like go off on my side Dan Hardy jokes and I got to get here because I got to remember there's kids in the room. And not that I would ever say anything inappropriate, but I just want to bless you children in a, in a big way. Wow, Okay. Um, What what Paul's encouraging, he's encouraging the church in Philippi to pattern their lives after Paul, after himself, and keep their eyes on others who walk or live according to their example. In a nutshell, Paul is reiterating what he told the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And Paul says this, very simply, he said, be imitators of me, as what? As I imitate Christ. Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. That is the the heart and the bullseye of what Paul is saying here today. Brothers, join me. Brothers and sisters, children, join me in imitating the pattern or example of others who have followed the example of Jesus by not seeking their own interests, but rather the interests of others. The the heart and soul of this letter is in chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. That's the... the, um, that's the heart and soul of this, of this letter. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you, man, woman, child, let each of you look not only to your own interest, it's okay to have some interests of your own, but also to the interest of others. Christ is our example. Christ is our example. And and Paul continues in in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. He says, have this mind among yourselves. What mind? The mind of doing nothing from selfless ambition or conceit. Have this mind among yourselves. What mind? In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Have this mind, what mind of let each other of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. None of us do it perfectly. Who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. If you remember back to the sermon that we preached, um, we went through maybe three or four weeks ago, maybe four or five weeks ago, that when it says that Jesus emptied himself, it doesn't mean that he, he emptied himself of being God. That Jesus incarnate, walking on this earth for 33 years, was fully God and he was fully man. What he emptied himself of is the privileges and the rights that came with being the perfect citizen. What came with being the first citizen. He he emptied himself, he gave himself as not only our savior, but as a pattern or an example or a model. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Then it goes on to say, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And adults and kids, I just want to remind you, I want to remind you that Jesus loved you so much that he died for you. That he died so that you might have life and have it abundantly. Paul says, imitate me. Keep your eyes on those who walk or live according to Christ's example. Keep your eyes on me and others who are following Christ's example. The question I have for you this morning is, who are you imitating? Who are you imitating? 
and why? Why are you imitating them? Paul makes his point by now giving an example of those whom you should not pattern your life after, whom you should not model in verse 18. And he's, he is contrasting the many in verse 18 with the few in verse 17. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And the many here is not false teachers. Paul often warns the church against false teachers. What Paul is talking about is the general population. He's talking about um, just uh, people in our neighborhoods, people in our workplace. He's talking about people in general who walk this way as enemies of the cross. These many who Paul calls enemies of the cross may or may not have been the Judaizers that Paul talked about as as dogs and evildoers back up in in, uh, the beginning of chapter 3. It seems as though these enemies of the cross were at one time professing Christians. Perhaps ex-members of the Philippian church and they're still around. These people were perhaps in regular contact with the congregation. And I want to just say this right up front, that if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus for, for, for the forgiveness of your sins, there's nothing that you did that was good enough to earn your way in. It was all by grace. And there's nothing on this side of grace, this side of salvation, this side of, 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 of being adopted children, there's nothing you can do that's bad enough to be booted out. Do you believe that? Evidence that these former converts had become enemies of the cross of Christ is indicated by how they now walk in verse 19, which I'll get to in just a minute. Suffice to say that their lifestyles contradict all that the cross stands for, specifically the passionate pursuit of Christ and dying to self. When we model ourselves after others who are modeling their lives after Christ, it's a cruciform life. It's a life where we die to self. You see, the cross was all foolishness to them. But I want to tell you this, that Paul, Paul takes no pride in it. Paul takes no pride that there's, um, or no, he, he's not happy that there's enemies uh, of the cross of Christ, particularly people that he knows. He has tearful grief. I tell you now, with tears, they're enemies of the cross. This indicates that their apostasy or their walking away from the faith had been a very personal loss to Paul. Literally, Paul says, I speak weeping. You know, over the years, I've known a handful of people like this. I think back to when I was 15 years old. I was in Malibu, Young Life Camp in Canada, and, um, and went there and just had a, had a radical conversion experience. I was headed one way, and the Lord arrested me. And there, were other, there was another young man in particular that him and I came back and we served um, in this particular ministry. It was, it was called Young Life. I'm not, I don't mind telling you that. And we led Bible studies. Um, this man today, the same age as me, um, some 40-some years on the other side of it, does not profess salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the only, the, only, the only way I can reckon it uh, with my understanding of God's word is that he was not a genuine believer at that time. 
Because there's some called the perseverance of the saints, that if you know Jesus Christ, um, you're, you're, you are going to, you're going to find your way home. Jesus is going to bring you home. It may be like this, as it has been in my life. Not a life of perfection, but a life of direction. But those that were enemies of the cross that Paul is talking about were ones who were apparently never saved. And I don't know about you, but I think normally when I, when I consider those who are enemies of the cross, I think of things like Boko Haram and I think of ISIS. And they certainly are enemies of the cross. We think of them as bad people who do bad things, and that's not necessarily the context here. I submit to you that the, an enemy of the cross is anyone who denies that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Some who are enemies of the cross are model citizens of the United States of America. They're amongst the nicest people that you'd ever want to meet. Do you know some? I know so many of them. Paul tells us first what the outcome will be for these enemies of the cross unless something changes. He says their end is destruction. And can I say this? Even though Paul doesn't say this, but particularly for the audience, that children, uh, your parents, at least the ones that are part of this church, I know them. And there's nothing they want more than to see you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. There's nothing they want more. And at that time, when you understand that you're a precious, beautiful, made in the image of God, little sinner, when you believe that, and then you believe that Jesus is the only way to everlasting life, at that moment, you will never receive destruction. Ever. Ever. But those who are enemies of the cross, they're in his destruction. Now he describes in the rest of verse 19 at a very high level how these enemies of the cross live in contrast to the example that Paul put forward in verse 18. He says their God is their belly. It doesn't mean that they eat was it Reese's, M&M's? What was that, Josh? Because I almost wrote you and said, is your God your belly? No. But this, it's not speaking of food specifically. It's saying that these enemies of the cross, their God is their belly. They're driven by self-interest and self-gratification alone. You see, the Bible talks about self-denial. The Bible talks about self-sacrifice. The Bible talks about self-control, about putting others first, considering others more important than ourselves. But those who walk as enemies of the cross see this type of living as repressive, actually. And instead, they make virtues out of self-fulfillment and self-realization and self-indulgence. They might actually say, hey, you're worth it. Just, just go for it and live life for yourself. It's time for some me time. It's time for some you time. And it doesn't mean that we're not to rest. It doesn't mean that we're not to enjoy the good gifts that God has given us. But they make virtues out of self-fulfillment and self-realization and self-indulgence. They do everything they can to ensure, as Josh said last week, to ensure their best life now. And can I tell you, as good as this life is, 
As good as my life is this side of 38 years of marriage and five grandkids and seven more to go, Life is great, but it is so, this is not my best life now. This is not even close to your best life now, and you're not supposed to build your best life now, actually. We're supposed to enjoy the good gifts that God has given us, to be good stewards of it. And it says, and it says after their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. Uh, and glory is another way of saying that they boast in their shame. And their shame is their self-effort and their accomplishments that they're putting their hope in. What they don't know is that even their best accomplishments, even our best accomplishments, are no better than filthy rags. And then finally, he, he says that those um, who are enemies of the cross have minds set on earthly things. They are consumed by the consumption of earthly things, earthly things. These outsiders have set their minds on earthly things rather than the upward call of God in verse 14. The Apostle John wrote this in 1 John 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Kids, don't love the world or things in the world. Be thankful for all the good gifts that God has given you particularly your parents and your home. and We had our grandkids spend the night the other night, last night, two nights ago. It felt like about six nights. It was just one. And uh, my, my, one, my daughter and her husband were out of town, and my, my grandchild has a... Um, this is why my wife hates it when I get off my notes. Um, that she has a goldfish named Sky, and all she could talk about is um, is Sky and how she wanted to go home and be with Sky. And I said, "Ebby, don't love the world or the things in this world." No, I didn't say that. Um, there's things that there's things that we just get that we just enjoy, like goldfish. Does anybody have a goldfish, kids? Anybody? You got a goldfish? You had a goldfish. Everybody's had a goldfish, right? Yeah, everybody's had a goldfish once upon a time. Yeah. Can I just tell you, if you have a goldfish, take good care of it. If you don't have a goldfish, get a dog. You've got a dog? Is he a shedder? Shedder or non-shedder? He's a shedder. Yeah. Yeah. So that's part of the fall, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Next time you want to get a, a hypoallergenic um, dog that doesn't shed, if you really love your mom, that's what you'll... Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, John says, the love of the Father is not in him. What he's saying is, comparatively speaking, if you love the world more than you love um, Jesus, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. You see, our present life is like a dot. Anybody know Randy Alcorn? His book, The Treasure Principle, great, great book. Um, I've stole this from him. I've actually improved it. Hopefully, he'll send me a thank you note. He says, he says, our present life is like a dot. It begins, it ends, and it's brief. But from that dot extends a line that goes on for eternity. And if you know Jesus Christ, you'll be a part of that eternity. You see, we all live in the dot. But what are we living for? Enemies of the cross live for the dot. For them, their best life is now. They will do everything they can to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. And that is great for the American citizen. It is great for our country. It's been great for um, almost 300 years. 
But it's not the pursuits that God has called us to as citizens of heaven. Even serving and giving, those who um, are enemies of the cross of Christ, they give and they serve to, to um, satisfy their own appetite. To whatever extent they serve and give, they're motivated by how it makes them feel rather than to bring honor and glory to the King of Kings. You know what? Enemies of the cross are correct, really. If there's nothing past this life, I agree with Paul. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 32. If this is our only home, if this is the only dot that we're going to enjoy, and death is the end, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If there's nothing more, let's go for it. If there's no happy ending, then we should just go ahead and live out verse 19. It's important to know what makes someone tick and what motivates their lifestyle. And I want, that's why I want to ask the question, who are you following and why? And um, next time, and I would encourage this for us as adults too, that, that if you see something good in somebody's life and you go, man, can I... Uh, Man, I just see that it seems like you're loving your wife well, or it seems like you're parenting well. It seems like you're managing your money well. And say, can I like pick your brain? Can I learn from you on that? And they go, yeah, sure. And when you sit down with them, the first thing you should ask them is, you know, what compels you or motivates you to do that? Is it the gospel? Is it to bring glory and honor to, to Jesus? Or, or somehow there's, there's good parents, there's good husbands, good wives, um, good financial stewards who are, who are doing it in a, um, in a way that there's common grace but ultimately, their motivation is not to glorify God. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. Citizens of heaven live differently than citizens of a temporal place. Citizens in America live different than citizens in France. Citizens of heaven live differently than citizens of a temporal country. Citizens of heaven live for the line, not for the dot. Ephesians 2.19 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's right now. That if you know Jesus Christ, you are a fellow citizen of the heavenly realm. You're a, heaven, you're a citizen of heaven now. You have the right to all, the heaven, all that heaven offers right now on this dot called earth. Ephesians 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If you know Jesus, you are already a citizen right here on this dot, and that you, are, you already possess every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Nothing has been withheld. The only thing that's going to get better the only thing that's going to get better in this already but not yet citizenship. We're already citizens, but it's not yet um, brought to fruition. And what's going to change is that not only is God going to be with us in spirit, not only is he going to be um, like he is now, he's near, but we're going to be in his presence. We're going to be in his glory. And there's going to be no more sin. There's going to be no more sickness. There's going to be no more death. But right now, there's nothing withheld from you, that you are fully adopted, that you are fully citizens of the heavenly realm. And I was thinking about this. I was reminded as I was looking at this, I was encouraged to remember what made me a citizen of heaven. What made you a citizen of heaven? It wasn't a test or a trial or a probation period. It was a king who brought you in to his kingdom. When we were foreigners, 
when we were enemies. You see, there was actually a wall that kept us from becoming heavenly citizens. That wall was, it was actually impenetrable. There was nothing you could do to break down that wall to get to God. And that wall was built by my sin, and that wall was built by your sin. I'm sorry, kids, I yell. Um, but you can just, like, feel me, pipe it down, just raise your hand. Are you okay? All right. Mama, are you okay? Okay, good. That wall was built by my sins and your sins. Jesus, the model citizen, tore that wall down so that by grace alone, a gift, through faith alone and Christ alone, we were granted entrance. Romans 5.10 says this, For if while we were enemies, that's you and I, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we have been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And what Paul is saying there is that we've been reconciled. We're no longer enemies. We're friends. We're citizens. But we're not home yet. We're still being saved, if you will. It doesn't mean that we can lose our salvation. You see, we're to follow the example of Paul and others to be model citizens of heaven. However, the the motivation, and Josh talked about this last week, the motivation and the power to follow their example is knowing the reality that we are, in fact, citizens now. That's the motivation on this dot. Um, Has anybody ever been um, uh, an immigrant? not a citizen of this country. Um, I know one guy in the church that has, but I don't see him here today. I was going to actually call him out. No, I wasn't going to do that. I, was, I wanted to hear his story a little bit. But here's, this is, if you were, um, if you were trying to become a citizen and the waiting period is over, you would have got a letter that started like something like this. Welcome to the United States of America. Can you just feel this, that that you've been maybe generations of wanting to be a citizen in the United States of America, and the letter arrives after long waiting. Welcome to the United States of America. This is to notify you that your application for permanent residence has been approved. Can you imagine? It is with great pleasure that we welcome you as a permanent resident, uh, to permanent resident status in the United States of America. My guess is that there's a tremendous psychological boost from such news. It would give you and your family a sense of security and stability, would it not? You could plan your future with a bit more certainty. You could begin to orientate your hearts and your minds to really making your home here in the U.S. In America, citizens have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's really good. As citizens of heaven, we have life. We have life to the fullest. We have liberty. And we have ultimate happiness. You see, Jesus emptied himself of all his rights of a citizen so that we might have life and live it abundantly. That we'd have true freedom. Freedom from the power of sin. Freedom from the penalty of sin. And free penalty. And free from the the guilt of sin. Also free from Satan's power. And like the song says, that we can be happy in Jesus now and forevermore in spite of our circumstances. He goes on to say, and and from it, from heaven, we await a Savior. This speaks to the second coming of Jesus Christ and expresses the idea of waiting patiently, but with great expectation. 
Verse 21, he says, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We live in a fallen world, kids. I want to just tell you this right up front. We live in a great world. You guys have got great parents. You're part of a great church. You live in a great community. But even at an early age, I think you've noticed, sometimes you get tummy aches. Sometimes you've got pets that get sick and they might die. We live in a fallen world. And this fallen world is temporary. And it's nothing to be afraid of because whatever's on the other side of this world is so much greater than what we have right now. So our temporary, sick-ridden, decaying bodies will one day receive bodies fit for eternity. Where there'll be no more sin, there'll be no more sickness, there'll be no more death. Jesus, who has the power over all things, will ensure that our citizenship in heaven is made complete as his power has already conquered death, the final enemy. In Scripture, as you read Scripture, I want you to think through this lens that, that Scripture always speaks, or not always, but, but mainly presents itself with a view from an eternal perspective. Some call this a heavenly point of view. Others call it an end-time view. This perspective separates what is transitory or what is, what is passing to what is lasting. What is transitory, such as physical pain, will not endure. What is lasting, such as the eternal weight of glory accrued from the pain, will remain forever. Everything else, numbing heartache, physical ailments, disappointments, circumstances that we had not planned for, everything else, no matter how real it seems to us on earth, is treated really as inconsequential. And it doesn't mean that we treat one another's pain and grief as inconsequential. We don't. We actually grieve when others are grieving. But with an eternal perspective, it's all inconsequential compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, when you look at life through an eternal perspective, everything changes. What seems so important at the moment has no significance at all. And kids, um, you might have some disappointments. You may not make the soccer team. You may not make first string on the football team. You may not stick that handspring you've been working on. You may, as a freshman, not make the varsity wrestling team, and you have to, walk, you have to wrestle freshmen. There will be disappointments. And all these things that are so big in your life, that seem so important now, ultimately will have very little importance. It's a matter of perspective. And Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians 4.16. He says, don't lose heart. No matter what you have going on, don't lose heart. You're preparing for a surgery, don't lose heart. You lost your job, don't lose heart. You picked the wrong stock, don't lose heart. You didn't get the teacher that you wanted, don't lose heart. Then Paul says this. He says, don't lose heart. He says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light 
momentary affliction. I know it doesn't sometimes feel light and momentary, but in light of eternity, it's light and momentary. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us, for you, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're fading away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, we live as citizens of the kingdom of Christ, but at the same time, we exist in the kingdom of this world. Pull up that slide on the line in the dot, please. I want to ask you this, first of all. Keep the same question. Who are you following? Who are you imitating? Kids, there's a, there's a proverb that says, um, bad company corrupts morals. What that means is, is that um, you, you, if, if you're looking, if, you, and if your parents are looking for that perfect friend for you, that doesn't make any mistakes, you're not going to be friends. But your mom and dad have final uh, Trump power. For, it is not that Trump. They have the power and the authority to tell you um, who you can hang out with. And my hope that as a family that you're, you're thinking through other families to, uh, to emulate and model who are following the example of Jesus Christ. And on this slide up here, the encouragement is to live for the line. You see this, this dot that we live in is on the line of eternity. We're just, we're just extras in, the, in the, uh, uh, the, the grand scheme of things. I'm not, none of us are the, are the main part. The world doesn't revolve around us, any of us. That our life is a dot on the line of eternity. So the encouragement is, is, is live for the line as an already but not yet citizen of heaven. Don't live for the dot with minds set on earthly things. And I want to give you this final encouragement. Sometimes in this world, it's us and them. If you're a Christian, somehow we've, we've, got this, we've got this thing, it's us and everybody else. There's this tendency to completely withdraw from the world around us and become isolationists. That's not God's plan. Uh, Paul doesn't tell us to, he doesn't tell us here in these verses to, um, to stay away from enemies of the cross. He doesn't tell us that. He says, don't model your life after them. In other parts of Scripture, he says, actually befriend them. As Christians, we, we can become harshly critical of everyone who is not like us. On e- and even on occasion, we can sound like um, that, that, that these people who are enemies of the cross are our enemies. And some might be in the context of, of the American um, uh, citizenship. Our mission field is the many. Enemies of the cross, the many... That's our mission field. Paul doesn't hate these enemies. He doesn't even say stay away from them here. He doesn't say don't hang out with them or don't do business with them or don't go to school with them. Hey, by the way, kids, your parents, I'll just say it again. Your parents, yes, they have the authority and you need to listen to them. Little Johnny, little Susie, um, I don't want you hanging out with such and such. But why? Because I have your best interest at heart. Because I love you. And I want, to, I want to protect your little heart until you can be a good judge of character someday. 
But when that someday comes, befriend enemies of the cross. Do business with enemies of the cross. Hang out with enemies of the cross. Just don't pattern your life after them. Don't get sucked into their lifestyle. We're not to build a wall to keep spiritual enemies out, those who are enemies of the cross. We're to provide a bridge, actually. And uh, for those of you that um, are going, wow, how can he say that about this country? I'm not talking about this country. I do have my own opinions on that. But that is never for the pulpit. As Christians, as citizens of a heavenly realm, we're not to build a wall to have just us four and no more. We're to build a bridge. Actually, the bridge is already built. And that bridge is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose again so that we can have life and life have it abundantly. Let's put that bridge out to people that are enemies of the cross of Christ. And let's watch the risen Christ arrest their hearts and make their hearts of stone and the hearts of flesh so that they too are citizens of the heavenly realm with us. I'm going to finish with this and I'll pray. 1 Corinthians 10. So whether you eat or drink, brothers and sisters, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this. Um, thank you for this awesome service. God, um, I'm not very good at this. Um, I love kids. Um, and uh, Lord, I just, I, here's what I, my, my prayer right here. God, I pray. I pray that, um, that these children, by the time they leave their home, I know some of the dads say my daughter's never leaving the home. But by the time they leave their home, that they would understand the gospel of Jesus Christ so clearly Amen. that they could either accept it or reject it. And God, our prayer, my prayer here is this morning that every single child and every adult here that has um, not yet um, been regenerated, transformed into a citizen, Already, but not yet. God, I pray that you would, you would do the work that only you could do. God, I envision a service in the future where there are baptisms after baptisms after baptisms. And God, we will give you all the glory and the praise and the honor. God, if there's any, any hint of any men in this church trying to build or families trying to build our own kingdom or, or, or WCC is trying to build its own kingdom or name, God, shut us down. God, we just want to be used by you. We want to follow the example of others who are following you. And God, we know that those examples ultimately lead towards um, dying to ourselves and putting forth the Savior who died and who rose again. So God, we bless you and we praise you. And God, I just pray that, that our song would be a sacrifice of praise to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.